When I was in Jerusalem in 2017, one of the highlights of the trip was for me to go from our hotel and we would, would take it up from my turn. I'm just going to go from where I saw it. from our hotel. We made a left and we went into what is called the old city. Now we would go in through the shops They you would go through and they have so much wares, the, many wares that you can buy, but you get past those shops and then you would get, you would go over and you would cross what was the old wall. All right. You would, you would go over this thing. And that's where Jesus actually, he, you stood, you walked over a place where he walked. I mean, there was a wall there. This is, was to keep the enemy away. And while you, when you walked over the wall, the destination was the Temple Mount. Now, the Temple Mount, it was it's just covered. It's a big, huge wall where the Jewish people cannot get to now. And they stand in front of it and they do their prayers. They're very, very religious. But they're, they're there. They're, they're, just, they're praying, they're praying, they're praying. And it's almost dead. It's dead faith. But when I was thinking this, and sometimes my mind does go away from me, I thought 40 years later, when Je think of Jesus being there in the temple, 40 years later, the Roman army would have been posted outside on the Mount of Olives, ready to come in and destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple. Now, they would be there with the armor that I described last week. Why were they there? Why, what was the armor? Well, each piece was vitally important. And inside the, inside the city, I was thinking that, inside the city you would have the Israeli soldiers and you'd also have the temple guards. And they would have different armor on, but it wasn't as, I would say, not as strong. But yet they were ready to defend their city and defend their temple to the death. And that is what happened. They defended it to the death. It was a struggle. The Roman ar uh, army was victorious, just as Jesus said they would be 40 years earlier. Well, each piece that they wore, each piece that the Roman army wore, it was there because it had to do with action. It was going to go down. This wasn't a walk in the park. They were going to, to war. And I'd like to think for us, us, us to think, excuse me, of a Christian soldier dressed in the whole armor of God. I want you to think back. I'm not going to read for you, but I want you to remember back. Each one of us dressed for action. Every piece, every piece of armor, vital for our survival. Now, as they ready themselves, just think of this. As you ready yourself for battle, you snug up everything you possibly can, and you cinch up that belt of truth. The heart beats loudly under the breastplate. You can almost hear it. The man or woman paws at the earth, almost like a horse. But for us, we would think of a soccer player testing her or his cleats out before a game that they're about to play. They repeatedly take their shield moving it back and forth, to and fro, 
ready for the fiery arrows that are coming. Make no mistake, they are coming. They reach up and adjust their helmet. That guards their head. And they make sure that the sword is ready for action. They might even take it out and, and they look and they look at it and knowing that it's sharp, that it's two-edged. And as the enemy approaches, those who didn't take their sword out, they, they take it out. The sound that it makes, it doesn't make that sound, but it makes a sound. The swords leave their scabbards. The warriors stand motionless. They're ready to engage. And then the Christian soldier does something that is totally amazing, totally something that you wouldn't think they do. They drop to their knees and they pray. Think of that. They drop to their knees and, they're pr and they pray because they know, oh, there will be a battle. The battle's coming. The battle is that is happening. There will be action. Steel will flash. Swords will clash. But all of this will be done in prayer. Every single bit of it will be done in prayer because prayer is primary. It is the most important link that we, you, have. As one man has said, prayer is the very spiritual air that the soldier of Christ breathes. It is the all-pervasive strategy in which warfare is fought. Paul had delivered this, an amazing amount of truth in this letter. An amazing amount of truth. Let me quickly review, and this review spends three pages, but I'm not even going to define or even tell you about each one of them. I'm just going to name them. Three pages in my notes. Well, the notes are big, so I can see them. He began Ephesians with the comprehensive declaration that the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He then proceeds to tell us that we are chosen, predestined, and adopted as God's children. He's lavished, we're lavished with his grace. We've been redeemed and forgiven. We've been given the mystery of his will. We're receivers of a divine inheritance. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's chapter one. We've been greatly loved by God. We've, made, we've been made alive with new life. We are the workmanship of Christ, created by him for doing good works. We've been given God's own peace, made one with Christ and with every other believer as his own body. We've been made citizens of God's kingdom and members of his family. We've built into, we're built into God's own temple and the dwelling place of his, his spirit. We've been given boldness and confident access to God made powerful beyond our imagination, given the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, individually and uniquely gifted by Christ. We've been blessed with specially gifted leaders to equip us in the work of ministry. We're taught by Jesus Christ himself. We're given a new self in God's holy likeness. 
We've been made light. We've been offered the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We're given the instructions and the resources to make all relationships with others and what God intends them to be. And we've been given God's full armor to make us invincible against Satan and his demonic forces. That's what we've been given. That's what Ephesians has taught us. Now, after hearing all these truly exciting, wonderful, awesome spiritual things and spiritual realities, I might say, he ends the entire discourse with this. We still need God's help. <laughs> We've been given all these things. We still need God's help. Now, understand, I know the human condition because I am one. A person after hearing that list and thinking and understanding, we have all of these things in Christ Jesus, we could become, don't get offended, spiritually uppity, complacent, and have an extreme case of spiritual arrogance. I'm all that and a lot more. But the original recipients and we need to, to remember Paul's warnings to the church in Corinth. Have you ever heard this verse? Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. That's a warning. That's a warning to you, brothers and sisters, and that's a warning to me. Take heed. We cannot stand unless we wear the armor. And we can't put the armor on without prayer. The armor is on Paul. The armor is on Paul as, excuse me. After the armor is on, Paul implores us that we must be, verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. After fastening on the belt of truth, after putting on the breastplate of righteousness, after being kept and kept and be ready to proclaim the good news, after being protected by the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, and finally wielding the word of God as a sword, we must make prayer the first thing. It must be the primary thing. It must be primary. It's been said, and I concur, that the Christian soldier fights on their knees. John Bunyan, who I quoted extensively last, last week, he called prayer the ultimate weapon. He called it all prayer. All prayer. Prayer is the supreme weapon to use against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against this spiritual, the forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 18 of Ephesians 6 is where we'll spend the majority of the morning this morning. It lists four aspects of all prayer that are necessary to fully don this awesome armament. Before we begin, I just want to make sure we've mentioned it 
Tom even mentioned it earlier. He said, well, I, we, know, we know what prayer is, but do we? Do we, do we know what prayer is? And, and this is the, the definition that I got from my go-to Greek lexicon. So this has to be right. And it is. It is, I quote, a request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God. In verse 18 of chapter 6, it simply means a petition. It's a general request. A general request. That's awful general. I can distill it even further. It's talking to God. Martin Luther spoke of prayer this way. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Hmm. You know, with all these things in mind, let's begin the four truths concerning prayer. And they all have to do with all. First, we need to be praying at all times. Need to be praying at all times. Now, when do you normally pray? When do you pray? I know for me, I, I pray when it's time for, for dinner. But when do you normally pray? I mean, intense. Whoa, what happened there? It went away. What flew out? Oh, well. I pray when it's intense. When, when you're thinking, I'm in trouble. Help. When we're under extreme difficulty whether they are God-fearing people or, or even an alleged atheist. Atheists even pray. I'd call these things foxhole prayers, but how do they pray? They might not even realize they're praying, oh, God, help me. But sadly, many two Christians, their prayer lives aren't that much better. They pray at church. We ask you to pray would you bow with me in prayer? Will you pray with me when we open a service, when we pray when we, we sing, and often we pray when we begin our sermons and after it? Christian prays before a meal. I already mentioned that, before bedtime. But the only times they might pray is if they really pray when things turn south. And I don't mean going to L.A. I mean when things turn badly. when we need divine intervention. But if that's the only time we pray, that's, that can't be a good thing. I heard a story of this week of a man saying that when asked about what his position he assumed when he prayed, well, do you, do you bow your knees or do you sit in a corner? He said, well, he explained that he'd once fallen into a wellhead. Okay on his head. And when he fell there, he got stuck and he went all the way down through the mud and he was on upside down. And he said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, I prayed standing on my head. You know, it's not wrong to pray in times of trouble. In fact, we'd be foolish not to do that. Do you know that it could be that God places us in times of trouble or when things are going south, so to speak, so we depend on Him? 
But what Paul's saying is that we need to pray at all times in the Spirit. Meaning in all types of situations, they should elicit prayer from us. Not that we should be or can be in constant prayer 24-7. Please don't think that I'm saying that. You're not, you're not the same person. You're not to pray like the homeless person walking down the street whose brain is fried, who's talking to himself the whole time. Now, we've, we've seen that, and they never stop talking. I'm not talking about that. It's impossible. But when we're happy, we tell God, thank you. When you or I'm despondent, confide it to your father. At work, pray about that difficult boss or pray about the things you need to accomplish. You're dealing with an enemy? Pray how you need to handle the situation. Pray that God change their hearts. How about a tough conversation with a child? Pray before, and if you can even think about it, pray when you're doing that, when you're in that. God, I need help. How about the tough conversation with a spouse? We need to, should be praying in every aspect of life, and we need to be what one man has written about years ago. In fact, centuries ago, we need to practice the presence of God. He's here. He wants to be a part of your life. The old hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, said, and I will not sing it, I will ease your possible hurting ears. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. The author of the hymn had to have had Ephesians 6 in mind. Just as Paul had prayer in mind as he exhorted us to put on the belt of truth. How else is it going to remain tight? How, is it, how else is the belt of truth going to be there when you need it at all times? What about righteousness? We have Christ's righteousness imputed to us, so our salvation is secure. But we, I, tend to sin. And we tend often to drift away from God's righteousness unless God upholds us. He's the one who holds us fast. We must pray. Prayer keeps us close to God and keeps us from sinning. Having the shoes, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We stand firm knowing about our salvation, knowing the truth about it, and being ready to give every man an answer for the hope that lies within us. Yes, we do that, but how else but prayer will we ever be able to accomplish that? How else? Without God's wisdom, and to be honest, without Him giving us the insight through His Spirit, we can miss an opportunity. 
just as it is with the rest of the armor. We need to be praying at all times. Well, you might say, but I don't know who to pray for. I don't know who to pray for. I'm at a loss to know what to do. That's where we hold on to the promise. Turn back a few pages to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Where Paul wrote, Likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's a spiritual promise. That is very, very helpful. Well, the next aspect, the second aspect that a Christian needs to practice is all kinds of prayer. All kinds of prayer. If you're looking at your Bibles, and I hope you are, you notice that Paul uses two nouns to describe that what types of prayer God wants. He says, with all prayer and supplication. Now, he's not being redundant here. He's not saying, well, I, I just, again, I don't have a word count that I have to ma- match. And, but it's the Word of God. And I'm going to quote James Boyce because he explains this very well when he speaks about the two words. He says, some think of prayers and supplications, also probably in some of your Bibles, requests, as being basically the same thing. Are they? This is the case when one term includes the other, but in which this is not true of the reverse. Prayers include requests, but requests do not exhaust prayers. There are many kinds of prayers that we should know know about and use effectively, close quote. Now, the easiest thing that for me to remember, and I've done this for years, it's so simple that I can even remember it. And remember, my, my memory is not that good. It's the word, the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration. It means praise. C stands for confession. T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication, and that means requests. Will every prayer contain the all four of these? No. No, they won't. But all should be present, present in a regular basis. We need to be doing these things. We need to be praying these things. They should be a part of our prayer life. Well, where's adoration? Adoration is the place to start. Hear me? If there is no praise, our prayers are not probably not focused on God, but us. I'll repeat that because it is so important. If there's no praise, no praise, our prayers are probably not focused on God, but us. You might be thinking, and I would probably say, we are thinking horizontally, not vertically. Adoration is understanding and acknowledging who God is, 
although our understanding is finite. Who is this great God? He's the reason why you were able to, to wake up another morning to see the sunset, or the sunrise, excuse me. He's the reason why you're here living and breathing. Without Him, you're toast. But when we acknowledge that God, He creates all things, that He controls our outcomes, is for us and not against us, it shapes our prayers in ways that take them from just me-centered to one that's dependent on our God who's always good. So it should have adoration. Next is confession, the C. Now this is an important kind of prayer by by coming into the presence of a holy God, when actually understanding, bowing down, literally and figuratively, bowed our knee and we bow our knees to Him, we will be confronted with our inadequacies and face it our sins. We will be confronted with those and sinful deeds that we've done, and even thoughts that have even come to our mind, and that's where confession is needed. Confession. Yes, I've done this, and I need to turn from this. Lord God, help me do this. Now, where confession is needed, we don't come flippantly. We just don't go, eh, everybody does it. Eh, I've done it for years. No. No, 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 no. But nor should we cower in fear. There's a, there's a big, giant divide. I mean, we come and just go, well, you know, we, we have the picture of a person who's gone to heaven putting their, you know, putting their elbow on, the, on God's desk, quote unquote, and saying, what can you do for me? I, you know, I've done this a little bit. No, it's not that. But it, neither is it. I can't, he won't accept me. I'm going to die. But we need to understand that we need to run to him, not away from him. Run to him. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth of God is not in us. John is writing, this is from 1 John, John is writing to Christians. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's another promise that I'll take to the grave and beyond because you've been cleansed. T stands for thanksgiving. And sadly for many, thanksgiving comes once a year. We're always ready to ask and receive. Like the nine lepers who were healed by Jesus and Luke. Excuse me, there were ten lepers, right? Nine lepers went on their way. And one came back and thanked the Lord. And church, hear me. Don't just thank the Lord for the big things. 
How about the little things? They're vitally important as well for the everyday things. S stands for supplication. Those are our requests. And if this is all we do, we're spoiled. But on the flip side, if we're self-reliant, I'm not going to ask God for anything. You're sinning there. We're not depending on Him. He desires to give His children good gifts. It gives Him joy. Remember that acronym, ACTS. The third all is embedded in the word always. We should be always praying. I mentioned this earlier that Paul isn't saying that we continually or you continually act like a person who is disturbed, who walks down the road talking to someone out loud. Let's look at an Old Testament man who I admire because I bear his name. Not because of that, but I admire him. Daniel had a habit of praying three times a day. Muslims, they bow down five times a day. But a Christian is to be in a perpetual state of walking with their God, never missing an opportunity to converse. Never missing an opportunity. One theologian has written, and quote, to pray at all times is to live in continual God consciousness where everything we see and experience becomes a kind of prayer lived in deep awareness of and surrender to our Heavenly Father. He adds, to pray at all times is to constantly set our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Always praying was the experience of the apostolic church. Acts 1.14 says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Paul, Paul told the Thessalonians, Pray without ceasing. Is that possible? Yes and no. Again, it's impossible to carry on a running verbal dialogue while we're doing our business. We can't. But prayer is so much more. It's, much, it's an articulation of words as a posture of the heart. We, we need to practice the presence of God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I need to help God. I pray when I'm driving. People probably are glad that I pray then when I'm driving. My wife prays when I'm driving. No faith, I tell you. No faith at all. But that is a time when I'm going, I, everything I go by. God, thank you for that. Thank you for that house that that person lives in. Thank you for those little kids that have a lemonade stand out there. Bless them. Thank you for Rosedale Bible Church. Pray when you drive, pray when you're going to sleep. Pray with your kids when you're putting them to bed. We have so much to be thankful for. Well, how many people, when we should pray for, would 
sorry. Finally, we're to intercede for all the saints. We're into the last all. I got ahead of myself. We pray and intercede for all the saints. All the saints? Really, Paul? All the saints? How many people do you think that is? Hmm. For us to know would be impossible. But God does. He says that he knows the number of hairs that, is, that are on your head. You know, I can't count the number of hairs on my head, although there are less of them every day, but I can't do that. I can't begin to. There are millions of Christ followers throughout the world in hundreds of countries. How are we, how are we supposed to pray for them all? Are we just supposed to get a, get a globe and spin it? Possibly. Well, first, we, what do we do? We, we pray generally for those who we don't know who they are. But we also need to pray specifically for those we do know. Think with me. I know we've always joked we've got a little kid to pray and they'll pray for everything. You know, the prayer that goes on and on and on. But they're obeying what? God tells us to do. To pray generally takes a lot more effort than we probably have been making. When we say, I want to pray for all the starving children in Africa, that's a prayer that a child would pray. You realize that we probably should actually pick a country and know what's going on, the famines that are taking place, or where Tom is helped us along when he comes back where whole villages are being taken hostage and being killed. We need to pay attention to our surroundings, brothers and sisters. We can't just live our lives like nothing is happening around us. We've been called to pray. What kinds of problems are they facing? What, what, what about those who are suffering? How should we pray for believers who have influence? But church, we need to focus primarily on the spiritual needs. Yes, people need to eat. Yes, people, we pray for healing. But you know what? Healing isn't important anymore when one leaves this earth. They need to be healed spiritually. Physical needs are important, but we fight a spiritual battle that has eternal consequences. So we need to pray generally, but also specifically. And Paul shows us this by using himself as an example. Look at verse 19 and 20. He said, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Notice what he didn't 
request prayer for. Pray that I'm released from this prison. Pray that my ankle stops hurting because this chain, this buckle, this chain, this shackle is really, really hurting me. Pray that I have enough food. Nope. What's he pray for? The man who stood before hostile religious leaders and crowds in Jerusalem who wanted to kill him, this is what he was praying for. The man who stood before Felix and then Agrippa, what? The man who would soon stand before Nero, the man who'd been beaten so many times that he had lost count, the man who had been in shipwrecks, the man who had almost had tried to cross rivers, who had almost been drowned, the man who bore the marks of service on his back, who'd been through everything that I'd spoke of. He asked for boldness. <laughs> what? If a man like Paul Needed God's help. Do we think that we can do this without God's help? Let that sink in. He prayed for boldness. And I would look at him and say, he doesn't need that prayer. What does he need that for? That man's the, most, the, bo the boldest man on the face of the earth. But you know what, brothers and sisters? I can't look in on the heart. Do you know someone who seems fearless? Who isn't afraid to declare the gospel of God? If so, pray that he or she will remain bold. That's a good place to start. That the holy would remain holy. That the prayer warrior would remain praying, would continue to pray, be faithful and pray. Do you wonder if Paul's request for specific prayer, this specific prayer was answered? In a letter written a short time later, he writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for, for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's prayer was answered more so than he ever could have imagined. We move on to peace and love to all. Paul's thoughts were probably still on prayer as he closed this letter describing Tychicus who served as a postman. I'm sorry, I butchered that word and I had it down in my office and again, I get all flustered when I have to say these weird names and they come out wrong. So, the T-man, he was the postman. He would let the Ephesian church know what was going on in Rome and what Paul was experiencing. They could come to the T-man and they could ask, what's Paul, what, what does he need specifically? Well, he'd give them a more detailed report. Well, Paul finished the letter by praying for peace, well-being, love, and grace 
would be with his beloved church members and prayer partners in Ephesus. It's the prayer that I pray for you. Grace was the gift that he wanted most for the church. Grace is the very first words, the very first word of the formal greeting of the letter. Grace and peace be to you. And here it is in the final thought of the closing. closing. It's the twelfth time it appeared in the letter. Grace, grace. Well, why do we need grace? The story is told of a man who appeared at heaven's gate and was met there by an angel. This isn't a St. Peter story. It's an angel story. And the angel said, it's going to take a thousand points for you to get into heaven. And you need to tell me about yourself so I can tally the points up. Well, the man smiled and said, you know what? I've been going to church almost every Sunday of my life. Excellent, the angel said. That'll give you three points. What else? And the man was shocked. Only three points? Well, well, I was a Sunday school teacher for 10, and then a Sunday school superintendent for a while after that, and I tithed, and I tried to be a good neighbor. Very good, the angel said. That'll give you 10 points. The man gasped again, and he said, at this rate, he said, I'll never get in except by the grace of God. The grace of God through Christ Jesus is the only way that we can stand. The only way that we can stand against Satan and the only way that we can stand before God. Will the devil attack? Yes, he will. Either he or one of his demons, or perhaps through evil influences, teaching, or structures. But what if he does? There's a saying that goes, the devil trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. I believe he does because the praying Christian is calling on the inexhaustible and irresistible power of God. May we be people who are on our knees praying for the Lord to move. May we be people who are on our knees praying that the Lord will sustain us. May we be people on our knees praying that God uses us to be what he will be doing in the world next. Depend on him. Pray. Let's see.